What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Book Talk Lounge, the place where you come to nurture your life and spirit through conversations about books and the experience of reading. Brought to you by the Reader Lounge. I am your host, Emiliano, and this is episode number nine of the show. Today's episode brings to you a valuable conversation I had with Adam Jones and Adam Ashton, two Australian readers and podcasters, hosts of the What You Will Learn podcast and authors of The Shit They Never Taught You. This episode with Jonesy and Ashton was originally recorded back in the summer of 2021 for my personal podcast show, The Transformation Journey. Still, the stories, ideas, and lessons that I talk about with Jonesy and Ashton in today's episode continue to be very valuable in the present, and that's why you are now finding this incredible and memorable conversation on the Book Talk Lounge. So now, make sure that you get ready to listen and to enjoy this valuable and amazing conversation with Jonesy and Ashton. Jonesy and Ashto, Adam and Adam, thank you for coming on, on my podcast, guys. Thank you for coming on the transformation journey. And well, today I want to talk to you. Well, I want to talk to you about uh, the shit they never taught you. And I want to show it so that people listening can identify the cover. And if they see the book, then they can buy it. And actually, just fun fact here. I think this is the first interview I do in which I am... Um, talking with two people. So this will be interesting for me. Um, And yeah, guys, so before getting into some lessons of the book and talking about many ideas, I would like you to give an introduction to yourselves. But people listening know that I prefer different introductions and the introductions that I like are through stories. And so what I would like you to do is to first, each of you introduce uh, yourselves, tell some stuff about who are you, but then Tell how you guys met and how you uh, created your project, how you created uh, what you will learn. Fantastic. All right, I, I might kick it off. So um, I, my name's Adam Jones. So I'm a, an structural engineer as my, you know, day-to-day sort of profession. I, uh, I was quite a different person. I'd say about seven, eight years ago before I discovered books, I was a pack-a-day smoker, um, loved drinking, took party drugs, was just a bit of a, a you know, laugh at you sort of person at the party. Um, but luckily I discovered one book, it was called Alan Carr's Easy Way to Stop Smoking. And with that, um, not only did I quit smoking and it was easy, I actually enjoyed the whole process. And before reading that book, I thought, how the hell can a book do something that can change your life? And then without doubt, I was absolutely sold on it. And not only that, it was, it was what, 25 bucks, 30 bucks, investment eight hours reading and you get probably a million bucks return plus an extra say 10 years of of life living because of the health benefits so i was sold on that absolutely sold on reading and before just before that i I was working at a pub actually and uh i met this big bloke come in one day he was six foot we'll, we'll go with six foot eight he's a big man and uh you know it was my last day working at the pub and his first day working at the pub and it was Adam Ashen. And uh, so we, you know, had a friendship starting there, but then it was a lot longer after that when we were both at university that he saw me sitting there reading with a book in my hand. It was how to win friends and influence people. And he came up to me and said, Hey mate, what are you reading there? I read too. And from there, that's how we, uh, that's how we really met. And we're both sold on books at that stage and we connected there. And from that, that's when we started doing, you know, side projects and catching up weekly and 
and ended up one day um, starting what you will learn. So, you know, Ashto might want to follow on from there. Well, we, uh, we're both keen on projects. We're both keen on doing something outside of the, the normal realm, outside of what we're doing day to day. And we had a couple of attempts and a couple of failures. And then we, we went to a Tony Robbins conference, like a one-day conference. We got really hyped up. And that's when we're like, oh, okay, let's start a podcast. And I think like the next week we started it. Um, and then uh, we, we had the goal of doing 10 episodes, reading 10 books and making 10 podcast episodes. After about week five or six, we're just like, oh, we'll just keep going. And then now it's been uh, over five years and we haven't stopped doing a book each week for the podcast and then wrote a book of our own. Yeah, really, it must have, the experience has been has certainly been amazing for you. And I think that you guys have learned a lot about like, yeah, the books, but also the conversations and then the experience also from the, the journey of creating a podcast and actually applying stuff. And I want to unpack some things here, but, you know, giving more context to people listening, I would like you to briefly explain what is the shit they never taught you. So the shit they never taught you covers 115 of the best books that we've ever come across. So through doing the podcast, we've we've both read over 300 books. We've reviewed, I'd say, over 250. And uh, we always get asked, what's the best thing you've ever learned from books, which uh, we're probably going to get into as well. And there's just too many different ideas we've, we've covered. So yeah, so there's 115 books, the best books we've come across in one place. It spans across 32 different lessons um, in the book and across nine parts. So the categories go from getting your shit together, which is part one, um, through to through to your career journey, how to navigate a career, business and entrepreneurship, um, marketing, personal finance, history. Uh, we've got a part on non-wanker philosophy as well. So it covers a broad uh, range of different topics. And all of them have the one thing in common, and that is that a lot of it was missed growing up in our traditional education system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, all the lessons can only be found in books. And that's why we try to unpack it all with uh, the shit they never taught you. Um, yeah, actually, when I received the book, I posted a picture of it. And in the other slide, I shared a quote, which is, I think, in the first page or in one of the first pages. And then it you say how... Books are an undervalued asset, which really is totally true. Um, and the impact that they can really have. Um, and, you know, with this book, uh, you are sharing many things. And one of them is like the quality of reading. And here I have two main questions or two main things I would like you to unpack. The first one is like, could you share what you think makes the quality of reading and the other thing is like how can people actually make reading your book uh an experience with uh with great quality okay i might take i might take the first one quality of reading uh i think probably comes in in two parts uh one is obviously the book has to be good with some new information probably that you haven't discovered before if you're learning something brand new for the first time you're going to have a super high quality experience uh at the same time for me personally anyway i don't like it to be too long uh if there's 
you know, if there's a, if there's a great idea, I'd like to get the idea with just the right amount of length and not like an extra hundred pages of fluff on top mm-hmm. of it. We've, we've read plenty of books that are 350 page books that could have done the job in 180 pages. Um, that said, we've read some books that are 600 page books that we wish were 800 page books because <laughs> we got to the end and wanted to learn more. So it's definitely not, there's no fixed length of what a good book uh, should be, but I think it, a good book should be as long as it needs to be and not too much longer. Um, but then the second part of the equation is actually then doing something with that information. It feels great um, to read something brand new and learn something brand new, but if, it's even better if you can actually then put that into the real world, implement that into your life and do something about it. Yeah. And then in our book, we try to take that and uh, apply it to to the readers because a lot of the people who go through our book and um, you know, not everyone's interested in marketing and philosophy and history. So a lot of the book might be redundant for someone for whatever part of their lives they find themselves in, in right now. So anyone who reads the book, we give them permission really to just read 10 out of the 32 lessons. And then we give you permission to go and mark it off on Goodreads and say you read this book. Um, <laughs> because uh yeah because that way if you're reducing the amount of time reading and you're getting the highest quality from it you're going to get the most value out of the book as opposed to just continue on reading a a lot of stuff and a lot of fluff that's not going to be valuable for you and who knows in five years time you might not be on uh, interested in entrepreneurship now but in five years time you might think hey how can i go and uh, take a swing and really launch a project in into the world that might uh you know might be a successful uh business endeavor Actually, one thing how I would like to discuss here is like the importance of actually applying books. In the introduction to yourselves, you mentioned how uh, I don't I don't remember if it was you, Ashto, but I think that you read like three books and you applied the three books and boom, your your life completely changed. So, how do you personally apply books and what's like the actual importance? Because I I. I was thinking that like there are, or at least that's how I approach it. Uh, there are books which are more focused on like developing the mindset to then sometimes subconsciously apply stuff and others which actually require you deliberately um, taking action. But yeah, like what's your, your what are your main thoughts there? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, I guess at the start, um, there are so many new ideas in books. Like the first book you read, if, as long as you pick a, pick a semi-decent one, is going to feel like the best book in the world. And then the second book you read is also going to feel like probably the second best or maybe even the best book in the world if it's better. Because um, I think like the, the gap between not reading books and reading books, especially that first big jump is massive. Uh, and you'll always, you'll start seeing places in your life things that you've either done wrong in the past that you should have done differently or an opportunity where this new advice or this new tactic that you've just learned can be used and applied. Uh, For me, it was when I was reading the book, I was always trying to put myself in that situation and trying to think, okay, where can I use this? So the first book I read was How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, And it was was, uh, vitally important for me to learn that because I guess I was committing a lot of the sins uh, of of personal relationships and building rapport that he says in the book that you shouldn't do. Uh, and so it's pretty easy for me to find a few simple ways where I could implement some of these techniques or some of these approaches to building relationships with people. So I did that in the workplace. I was in an internship. There was about 100 people fighting for about eight to 10 spots. 
at the end of the year, those interns would then be offered a job or not be offered a job. Um, so the advice and the ideas from how to win friends and influence people uh, really, I guess, set me apart from all the other interns who were doing things the quote unquote, the normal way, whereas I was doing things the Dale Carnegie way with a different approach to it. Um, so that was just one place where I was looking for it. The next place I was looking for it was I read Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk. And I was just like, my my eyes were open to this world of entrepreneurship and starting a business or trying a project and then trying to find people that would connect with that. And so from there, I was having not really thought about it a whole lot before. It sort of sparked me into action to starting a new business. So that one book really was enough of motivation and it gave me enough of the ideas to start my first business. And then the third book I read uh, was around relationships, trying to pick up chicks uh, from an all boys school. I was pretty keen to talk to girls once I finished high school. Um, and so I read a, a couple of books on how to pick up chicks uh, and I managed to make out with the first girl I met basically. Um, and then she became my girlfriend and then she became my fiance. So that one book really, I guess, uh, pretty much sorted all the relationships I needed for the rest of my life because it was just a one and done situation. Yeah, and again, here we are talking about the the real value of books and books being an undervalued asset. And, you know, I want to actually talk about many of the subjects of these books. But before that, I would just like to share briefly what my story with books is. And so in 2018, I was getting into... So here in Mexico, we've got like elementary school, then secondary school, and then high school. And when I got into secondary school, we were supposed to read uh, a book for, for Spanish class, a book of our choice. And my dad, uh, that summer, had given me uh, Elon Musk's biography. And my whole life, as you guys, I have been someone who has been interested in learning and I would say initially in school stuff, but then like develop, but by the time I didn't like reading, but then when I started reading Elon Musk, it was like the first book that I, that actually caught me and that made me start reading. And that was like a five month process, I think, of getting through the whole biography, but it was really life changing. And from there, I started to read more Then the Reader Lounge came, then the podcast and then this conversation. Um, but yeah, actually, I would like to start talking about communication which is something uh, you dedicate many chapters in the book to, like to communication, I would say, yeah, with other people in a business and in all of that, but also like communication uh, with people you love. And you mentioned uh, like, yeah, with a, in our case, with, with a woman, how to communicate and all that. And I would like you like to unpack some of the biggest lessons that you personally have applied into your lives that have helped you. You actually already talked a little bit about that, but I'm also interested in knowing Adam uh, Jonesy's perspective. Yeah, communication is so different in in many contexts. Like we do cover it in the marketing context, reaching your, your potential customers' ear um, through your personal context when you're just speaking with people. Also, we have a chapter on public speaking, which is another context. Um, another one I think was more recent would be the five uh, we cover the five different love languages so it was a book originally by I think it was Gary Chapman and this is in in the love context so every person you come across they've got this different love language that makes them feel uh, connected and makes their emotional love tank more full I think the the five I'll try and reel off the five now I might forget one but you got physical touch 
you've got uh, gifts, you've got acts of service, so like helping um, helping them out with with different things. You've got words of affirmation. So you know, there's just four of them. But if quality you're, time. Quality time. Quality thanks, time. Ash. I know you'd fill me in there, but. If you, let's say if your you know love language is quality time and it's not the love language of your partner, you might be trying to fill up their love tank in a completely wrong way. Uh, you're speaking English and they're speaking Spanish and you're not communicating whatsoever. So I think the common thread throughout all contexts of communication is just sitting in the listener's ears and seeing it from their perspective. So in this context of love, if you know what their love language is, you can be much more effective at uh, making them feel feel fulfilled in a relationship because a relationship, it's uh, if, if you're with someone for a very long time, it's a lot of time you're spending with them, more than more time than probably anyone you, you're ever going to spend time with. And I don't think we do learn how to actually manage and maintain those relationships to get the absolute most out of it. So I think communicating in their love language is, is one of the most important ways to get a lot out of your out of your love life. And Ashto, do you think that like you have been doing this in the correct way with uh so is she your fiance now? Yeah, I um definitely not before reading that book. It's not it's I feel like it's it's not like a um it's like it's such a simple book. It's like the things are so obvious and so simple. Um, but they're just it's just those things that like you're like, oh man, why did no one ever like just tell me this? It's just <laughs> I thought I thought I was uh, you know, being loving, but they weren't receiving it at all because they were speaking a different language. So uh I feel like it's just like it's like a nice, simple, you know, there's only five things. You only really need to know two. You need to know your one plus your partner's one. And if you know those two love languages, um, that can make a massive difference in your relationship. Yeah, and no, no, I would like to get deeper into like um yeah relationships but more more focused like on professional stuff so i would say that right now i'm starting to develop my career and i recently read this book called knock and it talks about a five-step process on how to build relationships that are meaningful in a career um but in, in this case the author only like talks about how to approach and uh keep up the relationship I would like you like to share some of the things that you have personally applied, whether it is to your business or in this case to publishing your book also, um, in order like to be more effective to, with people and then also achieve your your results um, in in the, your careers. I like it. So in, in the, I'd say what we applied from our book that's most uh, most valuable to to our careers and our and our business is this idea of. Uh, building career capital and there's multiple ways you can build career capital but it's something another word of saying another way of saying it is just building leverage in your career so you've got something that other people want and because you've got something that other people want you can um, trade it in for something that you might want and uh, that might be a pay rise more money it might be more autonomy in your life or whatever it might be so there's multiple different ways you can you can do this one of them is building emotional connections because a lot of the time emotional intelligence and communication is what's most valuable in a lot of uh, different workplaces. So that's one way you can do it. Uh, another way which I really liked, um, which I tried to apply myself was this idea of skill stacking. And this is originally by a bloke called Scott Adams who wrote How to Fail at Everything and, and Still Win Big. And it's something anyone can apply right now. So 
whatever your current skill set is, uh, for me, it was originally, you know, structural engineering. A lot of the time, what you learn through the traditional education system is going to be a commodified skill set. There's probably going to be thousands of people who've got the exact same skill that you have. So it's not very valuable in the marketplace. You don't have much career capital. You can't really trade it in for much. But if you work out what are the skills you can stack with your current skill set, which is going to direct you towards a niche, uh, as you get towards that niche, it's really valuable. You're going to start building more and more uh, career capital. So I think that's one of my favorite ideas of, of building leverage in your career. And uh, luckily, there's actually there's a bunch of different things that skills you can apply to your life that no matter what context or different job you find yourself in the future, these skills are going to add to your stack in a really valuable way. So a few of them is, like you said, communication, books like How to Win Friends and Influence People, learning how to listen uh, in different contexts, seeking first to understand and then be understood, mm -hmm. which is in the seven habits of highly effective people, uh, public speaking, which is the other form of communication, the what you do benefit from is the halo effect. Like everyone just assumes if someone can stand up and gets overcomes the nerves of public speaking, they assume you're just competent at everything, even though you, you might suck at a whole bunch of different <laughs> stuff. And then thirdly, I'd add to that in communication is uh, business writing. So learning how to actually communicate with pen to paper, effectively in emails through, uh, and just have that professional context and get rid of all your fluffy words that are unnecessary <laughs> it's going to make, again, make you look more like a weapon and build your, your skill stack. So you got more leverage in your career. About the last part, did you guys have any problem with the title of the book in the process of publishing it with, whether it was with your, the publisher or with another person? Uh, we didn't have any problem with uh, a publisher because we went self-published. So that helped uh, meant we had full control mm -hmm. over it. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the title, uh for us the book itself changed many many times like four or five different times we wrote four or five different books along the way um in terms of what we're hoping to achieve and then the title itself changed a whole bunch of times as well but we landed on this when jonesy was just like talking to his mate and he's like oh there's just like so much shit that no one ever teaches you he's like yeah that's a great title and so we just sort of like like refined it from there and and that just became the title hmm. And guys, how was the experience for you of, of writing a book together? How did you organize to write each chapter and each part of the book? Yeah, it was a, it was a long process. We started off, um, we planned to do what uh, Stephen Pressfield calls uh, cover the canvas. So he says, if you've, got a, if you've got a big project, the best thing you can possibly do is get to the end of the first draft as quickly as possible before the before the resistance kicks in and it takes mm. over and tries to stop you from doing it. So we went hardcore in like a month or in five or six weeks to write between us about a hundred thousand words. And that was our first draft. And that's when Jonesy said, I think we're I think we're nearly done. Um, and then it was sort of 15 months beyond that point of being being nearly done of of rewriting, redrafting, changing the whole structure, uh, pulling it apart, starting from scratch probably two or three times and just really rewriting the whole thing because the first draft, whilst it was good to get the first draft done and it gave us, you know, it gave us something to work with. It gave us a lot of like endowed progress so that we're, we're pot committed, I guess. We had the sunk cost that we'd already invested into it that kept us going, uh, but it wasn't anywhere near like a finished product. It was, uh, we got some feedback from listeners that it was, It was like, okay, but it was a bit boring and it was a weird structure the way we'd set it up. So we had to sort of 
go back a couple of times to add a lot more life and add a lot more stories and add a lot more, I guess, fun stuff into the book to make it more like a podcast where we do have fun stuff. Whereas the first draft of the book was pretty dry. Um, so it was just, a, I guess, a constant evolution, a constant reinvention of, of trying to bring the book to life. Yeah, I like the last part about evolution. In this case, with your book, but um, also like personally. Uh, again, as I told you, I was able to get through some lessons uh, during the past days. And I liked that you mentioned like the, the idea of Carol Dweck um, of the growth and fixed mindset. Um, and I think that that lesson came in the chapter where you talk about like outgrowing uh, your shell. And I would like you to talk about that, but more directed into like the, so like directing the, the idea of evolving into into a purpose and what i mean by this is that this this thing of evolve evolving and of being present and of developing the right habits and of uh changing your your body to, so you can feel better these things for me like lead in in some way to happiness or fulfillment or our ideas related to that and be, you know before getting like into actual happiness i would like you to talk more about like evolving and how do you personally ap approach that besides books maybe <laughs> yeah it's a it's a great question and i think like after you read a book like elon musk's bi uh, biography like you've read after it you realize if you want to do and make some sort of impact in the world or if you got any uh, goals that are just above the the ordinary it's almost by default you've got to change yourself and you've got to grow into someone else who can achieve uh, better goals and, and do better things in the world so i think uh, for a lot of people it, it clicks and you might read a book or you might be inspired by someone and then you get it from there learn how to grow so in outgrowing your shell we do cover two books seven habits of highly effective people and Mindset by Carol Dweck, which are two of the best books, I think, well, definitely the best books we've ever read in this space. And the most important thing from, from the Mindset book is uh, moving into the growth mindset. And I think you can be self-aware of where your, where your fixed mindset beliefs are in your life and where your growth mindset beliefs are. So whatever, wherever your weakness are, you might think, hey, I was just born with that. My innate ability is very poor and I'm not going anywhere you just imagine with that sort of mindset, you aren't going to go anywhere because you, that's just a fixed belief that you have. Whereas uh, the growth mindset is if you think, if you under, understand or realize that it's what, it's what effort, uh, effort is the thing that actually produces results and growth in your life. And through effort, you can actually grow, learn new skills and, uh, and change. So I think before reading that book, uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck, it's, I personally was stuck in the fixed mindset beliefs in a lot of different areas, but moved towards the, the growth mindset. Would you mind giving an example of uh, how you were, how you have a fixed mindset in an area of your life? There's, I think the, the most stereotypical one is, is different skill sets. So one, for example, is learning how to do something like public speaking, which I think is a good sort of growth kind of skill because it's something where at the very beginning you're, you're nervous you're absolutely shitting yourself um, <laughs> and i when i started out i was thinking hey i'm just not cut out for this i remember at university it was my second year and uh 
it's because a good comparison I've got in my mind of before books and after books, my attitude towards doing this. Because in my second year university, I uh, was a group of four in a project and I absolutely choked. I let the whole team down. I had cue cards. I skipped three out of the five cue cards and just and, and stuffed the whole thing up. And that was because I just thought, oh, I'm just not good at this. Then after reading the, the growth mindset, it was just came in with the attitude of, hey, this is a skill I can learn. And I remember practicing for about, I think it was like probably like eight or nine hours just for the one presentation, which wasn't very long. I just redid it, redid it, redid it. And I went in and I smashed it out and and uh, everyone was like, wow, geez, I've, that was an incredible um, presentation. So an engineering one in, in the fourth year. So I think that was... Uh, that's what really clicks for me. And from there, looking for the areas that you're scared and you're uncomfortable and uh, seeking those out because that's where most growth is going to be. I think it was Joseph Campbell who said that the, the cave that you most fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And I think that's really true when it comes to growth is realizing the areas that you're, you're scared of. And that's actually a good compass for you to be moving in that direction. How did you say the cave that you're most afraid of? And then hmm. the cave, the cave that you most fear to enter holds mm -hmm. the greatest treasure you seek. Hmm. That really is very interesting. And I, I personally love analogies for, for these concepts. And I, 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 I like, the, I, I like that one. Lately, I have been contacting a lot with the idea of taking the leap or like Uh, embra embracing a new reality and that has been sort of inspiring this morning i was listening to well my morning because it is the morning uh it is morning where you're at um, but i was listening to a podcast of john maxwell and he was uh talking about how one of the leaders greatest um let's say uh abilities skills is to be able to handle uncertainty and Uh, go for a vision um, that maybe that leader is afraid somehow of, but still that leader keeps going. And I think that's something important for me. How, well, you, uh, Jones, you already talked about like how you have, uh, you have had a growth mindset, but I would like you also, uh, Ashto, to tell how you personally have done that and how you have like, overcome situations in which you have been afraid to then uh, embrace something new, something better. Yeah, the, fix, the fixed mindset um, is bad at both ends of the spectrum. If you think you're fixed traits in that, if you think you're, you're gifted with something or you're born with some special abilities and that's just like a natural thing that you were born with, uh, then that's bad. That's almost just as bad as thinking that you weren't born with it as well. Um, if you're if you have a fixed mindset, thinking that you've got some special gift, some innate talent that you were born with, what that does is then it reduces your ability to put in effort. As Jonesy said, effort's sort of the key to developing skills. You don't want to put in effort because that kind of then is like admitting that you need to put in effort. It means that you're not talented. It means that you're not gifted. It means that you're not special in this area because if you were special, you wouldn't have to put in effort. You should just be naturally good at it. So I guess I probably had a fixed mindset that I was just like naturally good at maths. I'm, I wasn't that good at English, but I was good at maths. All of, all of high school, uh, I was, you know, at the top of my class for maths and it was just something that I was just naturally good at. But then when I got to university, 
um, the maths was just so much harder. And because I thought I was just meant to be naturally good at this, it sort of like stopped me for the first couple of weeks of putting in any effort um, until I realized that, hey, no, you, you're good at maths because you put in effort early on. Um, it wasn't because you were born with it. And so if you want to get better at maths, then you're going to have to put in more effort and keep going with that. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum as well, uh, not as a, probably, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it was that super important of a skill, but I just had this fixed mindset that art, drawing, painting, any, anything sort of like in terms of physical art, creating physical art was just not a skill that I was born with. It was just something that some people have some, some special artsy people, they're naturally gifted for me. I just wasn't that. Um, but of course, once you realize that everything is a skill, everything that can be developed, if you have the, the, the growth mindset where you realize that by putting an effort and by practicing, you can improve your skills. I did like a 20-day a, a um, small like drawing, practice drawing for 20 days. Within those 20 days, you can definitely see the difference from before and after. You can definitely see that before you put an effort, you sucked. And then after you put an effort, I probably still sucked, but probably not as bad. Um, and so just by, by actually putting an effort, you can improve your skills. It wasn't that I'm at this fixed level where this is where you're born. This is where you got to stay. You can't get any better. By actually practicing and putting an effort, you can improve any skill really. I, I saw the drawings after the, the 20 days and uh, I was very impressed. I couldn't believe yeah. that he drew it. <laughs> I saw the ones yeah. at the start and like, that looks about right. And then at the end, I'm like, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, um, you know, again, in your book, you talk about many subjects and I would say that one of them is, well, yeah, actually like history and how humanity has developed as, as a species. And have you noticed or have you read or learned if there, whether it was in a book like Outliers or whatever, like if there is any factor, any innate factor that really makes a difference um, between May, between taking action with effort and between just acting without effort. Mm, can you uh, can you explain the difference between that? So acting without effort versus yeah. Actually, what I meant by this is like um, let's say in Ashto's case, uh, in which you you thought that uh, you were already good at maths, and because of that, you didn't have to put any extra effort. Like, mm. how, what have you read about this idea of um, not having to put any extra effort because of innate talent? Maybe, uh, I don't know, how was it with uh, Albert Einstein in his biography or, or whatever, and, uh, any example you have about that? I think that uh, what you might be touching on is the idea of uh, deliberate practice. Um, yeah, I would say, yeah, exactly that one. Mm -hmm. So for, for, you know, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours rules, 10,000 yeah. hour rule. Like I've done, I've probably done 10,000 hours of a whole bunch of different stuff, but a lot of the time I'm just running through the motions uh, and not actually sitting down to do deliberate practice to actually deliberately try and learn the skill and get better. Like uh, I think that there might be an example of say, say doing guitar. Some people just learn how to just play a few strings and then, do a whole bunch of guitar at a party and at home and just playing the same songs over and over again. That's not really going to do much for you to actually improve and learn and get better. You need deliberate practice. That might be reading books about the, the whatever skill you're trying to learn and then applying it and fumbling and stuffing it up the whole way through. So I'd say if you're doing in the deliberate practice mode, you're most likely going to be in a, in a state of flow 
and that's where the the amount of challenge and uh, complexity in the task that you're doing is uh, putting the chemicals through your brain that you're in this flow mode, and that's where you know you're really you're learning um, some, something new and and new stuff compared to just being uh, out of flow where it's not complex and you just run through the motions. Yeah, um, you know, I I just remember that in one part of the book. You talk about like the new necessities for career building. And I think that in one part of there, you talked about mastery. Um, I would like you to dive into how have you learned, uh, like in your experience and in books, uh, what have you learned about how like the world has changed for people who are looking for jobs and everything? And what are like the new norms, the new terms, the new things that they gotta be good at to actually thrive in this new in this new world we have? Yeah, I think in the probably in the past, uh, things like a fancy school, things like a fancy degree, uh, things like um, like you know going through some kind of uh, some kind of prescribed education where they say here's the course to get this job. Uh, if you come out at the top of the class with a nice piece of paper from the nice institution, that's probably enough to get you a job. Um, today, I don't think it's, it's as simple. I think today it probably boils down to a lot more things inside your control, like your attitudes. Um, definitely connections is obviously can be a big part of it as well, like personal relationships and stuff, uh, which we sort of spoke about earlier. Uh, but But also, I think it's just like, the similar like what we're talking about the effort like the skills that you've developed if you've stacked a whole bunch of skills together to become somebody who is a little bit more rare uh, and valuable a little bit more unique than other people if you can bring something new to the table that isn't just yeah i, I studied hard and i read the textbooks and i passed the tests um, i think that's more important i think if you've got the attitude and the work ethic to want to work hard and if you've got sort of a bit of a track record of maybe a couple of projects under your belt that you've done that most people wouldn't do or if you've got some of those new skills under your belt that most people don't have i think that's going to set you off uh, on a much better path to getting a job mm. yeah spot on our show and in our book we, we really covered two different paths uh, that you can take and they both had the common thread of the, the effort that you put through but uh one of them is is going wide, going narrow and that's finding a niche and doing your Malcolm Gladwell sort of 10,000 hours using grit, your perseverance and your passion and, uh, and deliberate practice to get those skills. And you're really climbing the mountain quicker than anyone else in this niche territory. There's also this other way of going about your career, which is, which uh, sits a bit better. I think with me and Astro, our probably our just natural style and that's going wide. And that's where you're not just learning one skill and doing it better than everyone else. You're actually combining a whole range of different skill sets and you're, you're getting domain experience in different areas and you're adding them together. So rather than just learning, I'll just use engineering as, as an example, but um, you might learn engineering, but then if you learn another skill like podcasting, which I've been able to do, then combining the two and doing an engineering podcast, you're getting closer and closer to a niche that uh, not other pe not many other people are able to replicate. So as you go through your career and you had more and more domain experience, you're finding ways to combine things to to be more and more valuable. Or alternatively, as we're saying, you can just go into one subject matter and do better than everyone else and going really narrow. Yeah, I would like to unpack three things here. So the first one is about um, again about like combining different skills. 
some days ago, some weeks ago, I recorded an episode for my podcast, which was actually published yesterday. And it was with this guy called On Abdi from One Minute Book Review. Do you know him? One Minute Book Review? Yeah. I think the Instagram handle rings a bell. Yeah. Uh, so so I was talking with him for the podcast and he was talking about how he focuses. Oh, on hey, sorry. Is that on Ad, on Adwin? On, uh, A-B-D-I. Uh-huh. Abdi. That's right. I was on his podcast. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. I think <laughs> um, it's coming, coming next month though. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was talking with him about how he focuses on combining skills that can make him stand out. Um, and so that was the first thing. And I think that is something interesting and something important. The other thing uh, is that like uh, I recently have been reading uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport. And I know you guys have read that book. And as you know, in the beginning, he talks about how people who are like experts in their fields or uh, like who have the ability to uh, work deeply in, in a subject are some of the people who will thrive in in the new economy. I would like to know your thoughts on there. So you, uh, Jonesy, already mentioned that, like, yeah, for you guys, uh, it is like your style is more about uh, going wide. But w what do you think about this? How should someone also approach knowing if uh, that person should go wide or uh, to a niche? Yeah, I think it's probably both strategies are going to be needed throughout your career. Like for, for us, it's like overall the strategy is to go wide, but then there are times where we got to go deep. So like we've gone deep on podcasting for, for over five years. We went deep on writing a 170,000 word, 700 page book um, for, for a year and a half as well. So there's definitely times where you got to go deep. Um, but I think regardless of which strategy you take uh, in terms of going wide or going deep, you're going to need those that deep work. Uh, and the approach that Cal Newport talks about. He talks about the difference between shallow work versus deep work. Shallow work is just the, 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 the light tasks that you can sort of do in any state of distraction. You can probably, you know, be watching TikTok whilst you're applying to emails and it doesn't take a whole lot of effort uh, to do that. That's shallow work. If there's shallow work, if you can do it uh, whilst you're thinking about something else, then it's shallow work. And like, yeah, everybody's going to need to do some amount of shallow work but that doesn't really add any value to the organization you're working for. It doesn't really add any value to you personally. Like you're not getting a whole lot out of that. Um, what you definitely need is the ability to go deep, to focus, to work hard at something, to do deliberate practice. Uh, anything that's worth doing like is going to take time. Uh, it's going to take practice. It's going to take focus. Whether that's developing a new skill or whether that's writing a big report you know, on the monthly uh, figures from from the job that you're working at, or whether that's writing a book, whether that's making a podcast, whether that's starting a business, whatever you're doing that's going to be a worthwhile endeavor, it's going to take a hell of a lot of effort. And that's where you need the ability to go deep. If you're just always doing shallow work and you're always chasing that next distraction and, uh, and you're always scrolling to that next Instagram photo, you're really going to lose that ability to do the deep work. Hmm. Um, you know, as I said, I had three things to unpack and the third one was about your podcast. And I now actually have two questions, which I will ask right away <laughs> and yes. you can answer them uh, however you want. So we have already talked about communication, but I would like, how have you been 
applying stuff about communication specifically for your podcast. And the other thing regarding the podcast is how, what are some things that you have applied through the journey that have helped you make more of an impact and bring more value to the table so that also uh, the audience keeps growing and people who listen get real value. Jones, do you want to take the first one or the second one? I'll go with the the second. It's just something that we haven't really touched on uh, too much yet in this interview, and that's just the importance of of habits because you might uh, deep work might be hard as a once off, but you might apply it as a habit every day, and it's those habits that are going to actually make the the difference. So for us, when we were writing the book, it might seem like a very big big challenge to someone who hasn't written a book, but if you've got habits installed then you can start actually um, achieving bigger and bigger goals. For us, similar thing with the podcast. The very start, the 10 episodes were a real grind. But now after five years, it's almost automatic. Reading a book a week or more than a book a week, um, we're both reading an hour or two a day. That's ingrained as a, as a habit. So I think, uh, yeah, no matter what you're trying to do, if you're trying to grow a business, it's uh, I think focusing on your habits, consciously looking at what's in your life, what's um, what's bringing you down and trying to eject that out and trying to replace it with something that is going to be um, more likely to help you do and achieve the goals that, and projects that uh, you're looking to, to do. I'm glad you took the second one because I'll take the first one. Um, thinking about the, the communication side of our podcast, it's definitely evolved over the five years. It started off as us talking about the best bits from the book. So it was almost like us discussing with each other what were the best things that we read. We went through pretty chronologically, like we started with the first page and then went through the last page and like picked out the best bits along the way as we went, um, which is like which was like one approach to doing it, you know, picking out the best bits and just sharing that. But then we sort of evolved now to a point of like not just saying to the listener, like, hey, he was our reading journey, we read this book and then here was the things that we learned and try to just tell them what the answers were. It's more of a process of guiding them along their own journey of discovery as well. So the way that we we set it up, we're consciously thinking about um, how do we get them intrigued? How do we get them curious to want to know, like set up a problem so that they want to know what the answer is going to be? And then also delivering that in a way with with stories or with examples or with pop culture references that makes it stick. So rather than and just saying here's the answer we actually give them you know the the whole process we go we take them on the journey to learn and discover as they go i think that with that and with this last part we could get into like uh the content of books and how many times at least from what i think perceive and what i have experienced books which i think that uh have unnecessary stuff are are, are like that because many times from my perspective that they have like too many stories or too many uh we could say analogies too yeah what do you think makes a book uh have much more content than what it needs is it like the stories or is it like uh, the the repetitiveness of uh of a concept it's a great question i think the We've gone a bit full circle on the idea of stories. I think originally we both thought they were just all all fluff. Um, it's, it's, it's got no, uh, it doesn't add anything to the book. But I think over time in our podcasting journey, we've realized how important stories are. But making sure that stories are as short as and concise as possible mm -hmm. to deliver what the important message is. 
like one of our both both of our favorite authors is Robert Green and all of his books are full of stories and anecdotes from historical references and and everything like that and uh, his stories might be pages and pages long which we absolutely love but I think that's an outlier I think most of the time if the, if we don't like a book it's because they don't use stories in the right way they fluff it up with a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't seem so necessary and it might seem like they're just trying to please the publisher rather than mm. please and um, make a good book for an audience. So publishers are probably asking for a 300 page book uh, and this sort of style. So I think, um, I think stories is what goes wrong for some of the authors out there. And earlier, I think it was you, Ashto, you mentioned that there are books you have read, which are like uh, 600 pages long, but that you wish were 800 pages long. Uh, could you name some of these books, some examples of books like, like this? Yeah, definitely Robert Greene's The Laws of Human Nature. It's an absolute beast. Um, it's probably, it must be around 600 pages, but I got to the end and I wanted more. Whereas <laughs> in there, there are books... Um, where you get halfway through and you're like, I've got it all. I don't need any more than this. Um, and so there's there's definitely, uh, there, there's almost too many to name of books that that really could have been 40, 50% shorter. Um, but it's, a, I think it's, a, I think it is all those things that you mentioned. I think it is the overdoing the stories or using dodgy stories, like using, um, you know, John, my next door neighbor did this or, or Susie from, from the, from the cafe did this, like stories that don't really land with, with, with people on an individual level. Um, and also just repetition. If like, once you've, once people have got the idea, you don't need to keep drilling it in. I think, I think it's probably better for them to, to put the, connect the dots more themselves rather than just like giving them every single, um, application of this one idea. Yes. I love that you mentioned this. Yeah, you said about connecting the dots. So I recently saw a, saw a post on Instagram and it said something like reading is when you collect the dots and then uh, like reflecting on that and internalizing is when you connect the dots. Nice. What do you think of that and how do you how do you approach it? Yeah, I think it probably ties into what we said at the start, like how reading is one part of it and then like actually doing stuff is the other part of it. So I think like reading is you're collecting all these dots, all these different, uh, I'll use a different analogy, like different tools in the toolkit. Uh, so yeah. you you read one, big, one book, you pick up a hammer, another book, you pick up a spanner, uh, another book, you pick up a screwdriver. So you've got all these tools in your tool belt that you can use to different situations. And then when you actually get to the real world, that's when you start to think, okay, which tool am I going to whip out for this situation and how can I use this best? Mm. Great analogy, Ashley. I think I... Uh, and it's the importance of reading wide to, to go with that because sometimes you might think in an, all you need in your life is a screwdriver. So you keep reading books mm -hmm. that are about screwdrivers and you think, oh, I don't need a spanner at all. But uh, if you're making sure you're reading reading wide, you're getting your, your screwdriver, you're getting your, your spanner, not much of a, um, a carpenter. So I don't, don't, <laughs> not many tools. don't know what else is out there. <laughs> there's a, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of tools out there. And uh you're going to go through different contexts in life. Like, so we covered the book on love languages earlier. That's probably something that I'd never, ever want to read. And uh, because I read it, um, it had a huge impact. Um, and so I think no matter what, if you're reading wide, you, you might be surprised with some of the things that you, you come across.
I think here it would be important to point out like uh, selecting the right books and not like maybe reading stuff you wouldn't need in the moment, but also not going just uh, for the screwdriver. What would you suggest for people to like pick the right book? I think you got to. I think you got to follow your your curiosity. Um, sometimes you don't want reading to become a chore. Something that like, oh, okay, I haven't read a book on business for a while, so I have to read a business book, or, or I haven't ever read about philosophy, so I have to read a philosophy. I think if you try to force yourself to read a book, it becomes like high school where you have to read Shakespeare and Charles Dickens and all that sort of <laughs> crap that you, that nobody actually wants to read. Um, so I think you got to follow your curiosity and read what you're interested in. But at the same time, push yourself, like push yourself a little bit. Like maybe if you're if you're in business, then uh, it's a natural evolution to then read into marketing. And then for marketing, it's actually a natural revolution, uh, a natural evolution to sort of look into human psychology and cognitive biases. And then so it's sort of like you've gone from business and within a couple of steps, you're at psychology psychology maybe then you move to philosophy so rather than just saying i have to read a philosophy book maybe you follow like a few steps to get there first so that you're you're always curious and intrigued one way hmm, yeah that's that definitely is very I, i would say a very wise way to approach it recently i i wanted like to start um so for the summer i was re doing my reading plan And I wanted to like read many business books, but then I thought like, okay, I should read productivity books to then also like be more effective with how I read the books and my time and, and everything. And actually those books are leading me to finally uh, read the business books that I have been planning to read, including um, the Blue Ocean Strategy, uh, Good to Great, The Lean Startup, and and the other books, which really, really seem uh, very interesting. And I would like to get into business. So you dedicate many parts of the book into, well, to business. Um, you include stuff as, as building an MVP, as, again, the blue ocean. I think uh, in some pages you share some quotes from good to great. But uh, I would like you, well, first of all, is what you will learn in somehow a business? It is. Uh, we didn't. We didn't expect it to be at the start. It's. I'd say it's a hybrid of a business slash hobby. Um, we've both got uh, day jobs that serve us financially, so we don't have to to rely on the podcast to um mm -hmm. to to pay for our lifestyle. But we do have uh, revenue through advertisements on the podcast, and uh, now we've got a product like the book, which is selling, and is somewhat profitable. So, you know, over time, it might turn more and more into more in income which we won't say no to but uh, <laughs> i think it, i think it's been important for us from the start to not rely on the hobby to to make us too much money because we've uh, we've come across some um you know examples that we we know in our lives of other podcasters and and uh people and probably for our own experience as well when you get too desperate to try and make something work you might your timing horizon might shorten Um, and you might be playing like a real finite kind of finite game using the infinite games kind of uh, analogy. But yeah, if you're doing it as a form of play, then it's then it's more of an infinite game, and you're probably paradoxically going to be more successful uh, in in doing the you know in creating the art. Hmm. 
I would like you to get deeper into this idea of play. Um, and also, well, what I wanted to ask uh, after, and you know, asking if what you will learn is actually business is that uh, what are some of the biggest lessons from books that have helped you like to, let's say, make it uh, a business that actually lasts. Um, but yeah, if you could somehow mix that with the idea of playing, that would be great. If not, you know, just go ahead with whatever you want. Yeah, I think um yeah, I think I think we can probably mix the two. I think as as Jonesy was sort of alluding to, like if you're if you're too reliant on your side project or your hobby to be the main thing, uh you're gonna put too much probably you're gonna put too much pressure on it. So it's like the the idea of, you know, quit your job and start a business is one <laughs> approach. And maybe that is like if it you know, burnt the burn the boat strategy leaves you with no backup, you have to make it work. Um, that has a lot of merit. But also then maybe it just leads you to trying too hard or maybe it leads you to chasing money more than actually creating something of value. So you're doing the, the quick and easy thing that you can make a quick buck rather than the long-term build of something more sustainable. Um, I think for us, if it, if, it gets, if it gets too hard and it becomes too business-like, it probably loses that element of play and that element of fun and that element of enjoyment. Um, the, it, it's a, it's a, we've blurred the line, I guess, between hobby and business in a sense that um, it's not just pure it's not just pure hobby we're actually making some income off it um, but if we went to full business and you lose that hobby element you lose that element of fun and play and enjoyment then I think we'd definitely be putting a putting I guess a, a finite time horizon on it as Jonesy said we'd be putting a deadline on it I think it would have an expiry date would you like to add anything to that Jonesy I'd, I'd probably just say this uh podcasting is slightly different to other business contexts i think um so in in some some businesses play is probably not the thing that should be always <laughs> the thing you go for like uh one book which you probably read is by cal newport that um if you follow your passion if you quit your job to start a podcast to try and make a business out of that or something like that it's not always the the best strategy so um, yeah, I think just just understanding the context of what you're doing for us as a side hobby where we're learning a lot, we're reading a lot and we're growing from it and there's a big element of play. But then in our day-to-day lives, we've also got the element that is that is a work context where you're actually building your, your career and your skills, which isn't necessarily as fun as the, the podcasting side of things. So, um, mm-hmm. so I'm just saying, yeah, probably be a bit careful using our what we're talking about now podcast as a business and in applying it to someone who might be selling a product or doing something slightly different hmm. yeah actually now richard branson comes to mind and i would like to ask you so probably you you have read more of his books than i have i you have only read one um but yeah, what do you think of somebody like him who does seem to have fun doing business I think that's perfect. I think he's Jonesy loves Elon Musk so much, but I think Branson's overtaken him now that he's actually he's actually gone into space. I reckon uh, I reckon <laughs> oh, Branson's on, got mate. one up Musk, on him now. Musk is oh, I don't think so. I think um, I think I think it's uh, not even a debate anymore. I think Branson wins. Um, but yeah, Branson does all sorts of crazy stuff. He's like fine. I remember, I read his um. It was actually, I always say the first book I read was How to Win Friends and Influence People. But really the, the first, first book I read was actually Richard Branson's like the, the, like the 80 page little one that he did. Um, screw it, let's do it. Um, and he talks about like how he like was 
on this like hot air balloon across the ocean that crashed and he nearly died. And he's like, he goes, you know, windsurfing with naked chicks strapped around his body. Um, he dresses up as, as women to launch his airline. So he definitely has a lot of fun with it. I think that it probably ties into his, his brand and his character. You've got the, the nerdy, almost robot, robot like Elon Musk. And then you've got like the fun loving, more relatable Richard Branson, which is sort of his brand. Yeah, well, just in the case of Musk, what I would say is that uh, there are times in which you do see him having fun, but in the case of Branson, it definitely is something, as you said, about like who he, uh, how he shares himself to the world. I think that's something important. And personally, for me, Richard Branson really is, I would say, my biggest role model, at least in the part of entrepreneurship, because I do want like to start to develop new stuff, new businesses and brands. And yeah, I have been trying, especially like at my age, uh, sometimes I have this conflict in my head. Uh, if I should like stop reading that much and, you know, focus mo more on just hanging out with, with my friends or whatever. But I, then I think that I could sort of mix both. And that's what I, what I try to do. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, again, we are running out of time, <laughs> but we, we have covered many topics through, 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 through this conversation about communication, about business, about building a career, um, about developing yourself, about habits. And all of those things have to do with the improvement of yourself, of a business, of a group, of your life in general. And my podcast is called The Transformation Journey. The final question that I always ask to my guests is how do you define and approach transformation in your personal lives? Got it. It's we've kind of covered it a little bit, but I think transformation is uh, all about understanding where you're uncomfortable and uh, not shying away from it and trying to find as many of those situations where your stomach's feeling a little bit nervous and uneasy and um, reframing that in your mind as something positive that's going to lead to growth as opposed to something that's negative and should be avoided. I think, um, Emiliano, there's no question that you're you're transforming by doing this at, at a young age, by reading books <laughs> and then doing a podcast and then by even just thinking about... Uh, you know, creating a business or creating brands. I think that um, they're all part of the transformation journey. I think one part of the transformation journey is is reading and learning and building a, and building your skills, and then obviously the other the other part of it is actually doing something with. And I think you probably I think you transform a lot more from actually doing. So like by actually making a podcast or by actually trying to start a business, you transform so much, even if it doesn't work. Uh, you transform. Even if it crashes and burns, you've at least got that experience and you've developed that that next uh, that next skill, that real world skill that you can be even better next time. Yes, you definitely do. You keep growing. Um, and well, guys, is there anything else you would like to add? Some final thoughts and also where can people find you? You can find us at... Uh, but yeah, no, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. We... Um, we enjoyed your reaching out on, on Instagram. You got a killer page. Um, Thanks. <laughs> but for our, our website, it's whatyoulearn.com. And from there, you'll find links to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever all the podcast players where you can listen um, to us. So each week we go through the best bits of a new book and uh, package it up into a 30-minute you know, entertaining episode. And also on our website, uh, you will also find our book, The Shit They Never Taught You. 
and we've got 115 of the best books put in one place spanning across 32 different lessons so um, there'll be definitely something for everybody within our book well excellent really oh is there anything you would like to add Ashton? that's it mate just thanks so much hello again this is your host emiliano coming to wrap up the episode i hope that today's conversation was enjoyable and valuable to you if it was please consider sharing it to a friend and subscribing to the show remember that you can keep receiving value from the reader lounge by following on instagram youtube tiktok and twitter you can find the links to those platforms in the description of the episode if you'd like to buy today's guest's book you can find the link to it in the description too that has been it for today i wish you have a happy and prosperous day ahead or a fulfilling and peaceful afternoon otherwise my name is emiliano This was the Book Talk Lounge brought to you by the Reader Lounge. I'll speak to you in the next episode. Peace.